Welcome to Quick Brain, bite-sized brain hacks for busy people who want to learn faster and achieve more. I'm your coach, Jim Quick. Free your mind. Let's imagine if we could access 100% of our brain's capacity. I wasn't high, wasn't wired, just clear. I knew what I needed to do and how to do it. I know Kung Fu. Show me. Welcome back, Quick Brains. I am your coach and your host, Jim Quick, and welcome to the Quick Brain Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about really tapping into your quantum body, and it is none other than Dr. Deepak Chopra. Deepak, thanks Thanks, thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Jim. I know Dr. Chopra needs no no introduction. He's written 90-plus books. His latest book, which we're going to talk about today, is called Quantum Body. And so the new science of living a longer, healthier, more vital life. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Jim. It's a privilege to be with you. I have a photograph on my desk. It's the, the two of us uh, 28 years ago. <laughs> um, it just, it's just very fun memories. But before we jump into the book, you and I were having a conversation before we started recording that people tend to use the words interchangeably, brain, mind. So maybe we could start by defining brain, mind, consciousness. Yeah, so uh, you're right. You know, I go to all these conferences on the mind and the brain, and I've never found anyone with all these luminaries actually give a good definition either of consciousness or mind or brain. And people have all kinds of theories without actually agreeing on a definition. (laughs) So let me share with you my definitions and see if they make any sense to you and your audience. Consciousness is the subject of all experience. That's the simplest definition. It's what experiences everything, okay? This world, this body, this mind, and this brain. So consciousness is the subject of all experience. Now, if you talk to other people steeped in wisdom traditions, and they ask them the same question, say somebody who knows Vedanta or Kashmir Shaivism or Buddhist thinking, they would say consciousness is that in which all experience occurs. So this experience that we're having right now and people listening to us is happening in their consciousness. So it's that in which all experience occurs. It's also that in which all experience is known. Not only do we are we having this experience, we know that we are having this experience. So that would be a second definition. That which in which all experience occurs, all experience is known, and out of which all experience is made. Now that is a difficult thing for people to comprehend. So the mind is not consciousness but the mind is a modified form of consciousness. Consciousness modifies itself into thoughts, into feelings, into emotions, um, into memory, into imagination. So the mind is made out of consciousness. It's a modified form of consciousness. You and I have unique minds, but consciousness is a singular. It's non-local, it's not in space-time. And as Schrodinger said, one of the great pioneers of quantum mechanics, he said, you can't divide or multiply consciousness. Uh, It's formless, infinite, spaceless, timeless, irreducible, fundamental, unimaginable, but the source of imagination, cannot be conceptualized, but the source of conception, 
cannot be perceived, but the source of perception. How about the mind? Is Jim Quick's mind located in his brain? Well, then which part of the brain? Okay. Now, of course, when you have a thought, you have a feeling, you have emotion, certain parts of the brain light up as electrochemistry. But there's no experience in the brain, right? If I put a knife through the brain, there's no experience. This sound that I'm making and people are hearing, there's no sound in the brain either. Okay, there's no color in the brain, there's no shape. There's nothing that we can call experience in the brain. Um, You put a knife through it, you don't feel pain. Any neuroscientist will tell you that. So what is the mind? And many years ago, I had a a discussion with, uh, what's his name, Uh, neuroscientist at UCLA. Uh, It'll come to me right now. You're good at remembering (laughs) names. What he said is very interesting. His definition of um, uh, mind was it's an embodied, embodied and relational process that regulates the flow of energy and information in an ecosystem, in an ecosystem of living beings. In other words, my mind is not just in my brain, it's in every cell of my body, um, but it is also not by itself, it's relational. I can't have a mind by itself. There's no possibility. If I, I had a mind in isolation, it wouldn't be a mind. So the mind is always a relational process. It's a relational process, and I would modify the definition to say the mind is an embodied and relational process in consciousness. So, And it regulates energy and information in an ecosystem of living beings. Um, you, You can have that relationship with your dog or your cat or another sentient being, but then your minds are in is a process, and it's regulating energy and information, including your biological activity. So where is the mind? It has no location either. So as you're thinking about the brain in relation to the mind and consciousness, how do you define? So I think the best way to define brain is it's the neural correlates of mind. It's what the mind looks like as an object. Okay, neural correlates. So right now as we're speaking, different parts of the brain are getting fired up. And they're getting fired up in people who are listening to us Mm -hmm. too. So our brains are also entangled. You know, not only are minds a process, you can't have a brain by itself. The brains are entangled because we're sharing information, we're sharing knowledge, we're sharing our ideas, we're sharing imagination. None of this is produced by the brain. Okay, the brain records this experience. There's no experience in the brain. Mm-hmm. You know, any scientist, neuroscientist will tell you that there's no experience in the brain. The brain records neural correlates. Yeah, hear you. There's so much I want to talk about in terms of neuroplasticity, epigenetics. I want to go back to quantum body. This is a, a big up evolution of quantum healing. Why did you write this book with your co-authors and why should people be interested in reading it? So, you know, the essential existential suffering that we all have. You can have good health. Mm -hmm. You can have the best relationships. You can have all the money in the world. You get good sleep. Yeah, everything. And all those are very important. But at some point, at some point, if you're even slightly aware, 
you will have what is called existential suffering. You know, what spiritual traditions call the dark night of the soul. Mm-hmm. You say, what is reality? Who am I? Where do I come from? You will have fear of old age, even though health span can be expanded. And you will fear death. The wisdom traditions say there are five causes of suffering, human suffering. Number one, not knowing reality. We think this is reality, mm-hmm. when in fact this is our creation. We think this body is reality, when in fact this is also perceptual activity, human perception. We think mind is reality, which is also a modified form of the infinite, the source of knowing. So we cling at experience, we recoil it from experience, we say what we experience is reality, we identify with our self-image, not knowing that our true self is not our ego identity, and we fear death. Mm. So those are eternal problems that people have tried to solve either philosophically or through religion or through science or other systems of thought. No answer to these questions. Now, the quantum model fascinated me 30 years ago because I asked myself, and by the way, there was no science then, there was no what we call epigenetics, neuroplasticity. One day I suddenly asked myself, how does a human body think thoughts, play a piano, kill germs, remove toxins, make a baby all at the same time? It's not a linear process, right? It's all happening simultaneously. In fact, even that is a very simple question. How does a human body think thoughts, play a piano, kill germs, remove toxins, make a baby all at the same time? while monitoring the movement of stars and planets as its own biological rhythms. Then I went a little further. Not just the body. How does every organ in the body correlate its activity with every organ in the body instantly? Instantly. Okay, the liver knows what the stomach is doing. The stomach knows what the brain is doing. And they're all doing it together. Every cell, you have... Go now and check it out. There are trillions of things a cell is doing, but every cell knows what every other cell is doing. So for me, that was a quantum phenomenon without then recognizing the terminology, non-local correlations, entanglement, superposition, the measurement problem, the uncertainty principle, etc. So at the Science of Consciousness, I met Jack Tuzinski, who's a not only a physicist, but he's a quantum biologist. So I said, you know, that's a new discipline. I said, do you think the brain is entangled as a quantum device? You know, is the brain a quantum computer? He said, of course it is. I said, what about the cells of our body? He said, of course. I said, is there science? He said, the math is there. Okay, but right now there's no biological application of this. So then you go to the source of all existence as materialists see it, not as I'm seeing it as consciousness, the source. You go to the materialists and say, what is the source of all existence? And one of the models is the quantum field. Then you say, is the quantum field in space-time? And most people will argue about that. You know, Most people say it's in space-time. Others say, no, it could be in space-time. It could be beyond space-time. It could be local, non-local. But the quantum field is the field from where particles are popping in and out of an infinite void as determined by the uncertainty principle. So I said, can I predict my next thought? And the answer is no. You know, you're, you're recycling most thoughts and then you have 
sometimes an evolutionary thought, a creative thought. But most people are recycling everybody else's thoughts, you know, um, because they're part of the ecosystem, embodied and relational. But once in a while you have an Einstein or a, or a Beethoven or, you know, somebody who breaks the rules with an original thought, where is that coming from? And is the quantum field imbued with subjectivity? So, you know, I started going to AI and asking these questions. Is the quantum field, oh, that's a very interesting question, debated by philosophers and science, we don't know the answer. Okay, but then I went to wisdom traditions and is the most fundamental field of existence imbued with subjectivity? And the answer is, has to be. You can't have an object without a subject. The two go together. And yet, in science right now, the fashion is what philosophers would call naive realism. Naive realism, and Einstein was in naive realism. That's what his whole argument was with the quantum pioneers. You know, naive realism. The picture of the world is the human look of it. Well, that's obviously not true. If humans disappeared, the world would still be there as humans experience it. Doesn't make sense. So this idea that the physical world is exactly how you and I experience it is now in philosophy called naive realism. That the world is not real. It's a projection of consciousness through the mind, the conditioned mind. So is the body, so is the two trillion galaxies out there. What kind of mind that is comprehensive, I dare not use the word God because if I go to these conferences, I use the word God or spirit, people roll up their eyes. This is a science conference. But if I use the word cognitive science, perceptual activity, consciousness, embodied and relational process, they accept it. So quantum bodies is my offering with these two brilliant scientists much more brilliant than I am because I don't know the math that Jack Tuzinski does and he happens to be a quantum biologist and Brian, like myself, is interested in metabolism but he wrote two big volumes on quantum metabolism. And, you know, I had an idea also in quantum metabolism 30 years ago. I was speaking to a patient and uh, I was looking at his chart, let's call him Mr. Smith. I said, Mr. Smith, very reluctantly, I have to tell you, you might have cancer. Are you a high achiever constantly seeking that next level of success? Welcome to the Quick Success Program. It's a deep dive and support system to master your life and scale to new heights in personal and professional achievement. Included is our exclusive monthly book club, where we process transformative ideas from amazing books to level up your learning and your life. We also bring the author to the club to answer your burning questions. You can also participate in monthly live coaching calls with me where your questions meet my decades of expertise. Simply go to quicksuccess.com, that's K-W-I-K success.com, and choose the plan that works best for you. And as soon as I said that, I saw his demeanor change. His face became crestfallen. His blood pressure rose up. I was sure that his body had inflammatory markers. His metabolism had changed just because I used the word cancer. And then the next minute, I realized it wasn't his chart. I said, I'm really sorry. That was somebody else. Mm. It's not you. You're in good health. 
suddenly he changed. Mm. So I realized I gave him information in the form of one word. The word was cancer. Then I said, no, no, no you don't have it. And his metabolism changed like this. So then I got the idea there's something called quantum metabolism. And placebo, so placebos, nocebos. Yes, so th those are such dismissive terms because mm -hmm. you see, you say placebo and nocebo, you've kind of dismissed the whole right. thing. But how does it work? Through epigenetics. Right. It modulates gene activity. So now we have a biological basis. And this book will help people to be able to direct that? For I think the longer book life offers health. them various ways to, first of all, on a, on a very superficial level, how to activate their vagal nerve, which is the dominant mm -hmm. nerve of the parasympathetic nervous system, how to activate self-regulation, healing, restore homeostasis, but ultimately to identify with their quantum body, which is not subject to birth or death. Okay, so what dies is a perceptual activity, which actually is dying every moment. Like as soon as I speak these words, they don't exist. By the time you hear these words, they don't exist. By the time you register perception, it doesn't exist. So everything you experience is the past. When I look at the Milky Way galaxy, that could be 100 million years ago. Some stars. And those stars might not even exist anymore. For for millions of years, but we'll see them. So they're ghosts. But actually, Jim, you're a ghost. Mm. Because by the time I perceive you, the one that I perceived is no, no longer there. It's like taking a selfie. Every snapshot of perception is a selfie. Now, we confuse ourselves with our selfies. Then we create concepts, birth, death. But actually every perception, every thought, every feeling, every image, every sensation dies as soon as it's born. Without death, there's no birth. Without birth, there's no death. Like you can't have an on without an off. You know, it's a vibration. You know, this thing goes, you switch it off at night. Mm -hmm. You switch off yourself at night, you call it deep sleep. There's no experience. But if I cut off the electricity, then that bulb is not there anymore, okay? If I cut off the electricity. But the electricity doesn't die, right? I'm using a metaphor mm -hmm. here. You don't die, okay? As consciousness, you never die. In fact, what dies is what dies every night in deep sleep. Yeah. Okay, that's it. So now once you get in touch with your quantum body, which in spiritual traditions, by the way, is called the causal body. So in spiritual Eastern spiritual Buddhist traditions and even Vedanta, you have a physical body, which is a perceptual activity, but it's not a real thing. You say, I have a body, which one? Fertilized egg, zygote, baby, embryo, toddler, which one? It's a verb, it's not a noun. And it's an activity in consciousness. So you get rid of the idea that I'm a body. Then you get rid of the idea I'm a mind or a brain. These are all stories, and they're useful stories. And we've embedded ourselves in the stories as bodies and minds when, in fact, we are the subjective quantum field, which never dies. And so that is what is called enlightenment in Eastern wisdom traditions. Or you look at any other, actually, spiritual tradition. Don't confuse it with religious dogma. Ain Sof, Brahman, Allah, it all mean the same thing. It's the mysterious, in formless infinite that is recycling as the universe and also evolving as the perceived universe.
So this has been a, a like a college course. Everybody gets three credits for for listening to this episode. This is literally three times longer than anything we've ever published. If you want to get the extended version, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube. Join 1.4 million subscribers there. So we'll where we put the uh, full uh, unedited version on there. And I challenge everybody to do one thing: is take a screenshot of this wherever you're consuming it. Um, make sure you tag Deepak on social media. Follow him. Uh, tag myself so we get to see it. I'll, I'll repost some of them as well. I'll gift out a couple of copies of Quantum Body because uh, we ordered like a whole case of them <laughs> ourselves on Amazon. And um, Deepak, I want to thank you for, thank for your amazing you, work and thank your friendship. You. Thank you. And I'll see everybody in our next episode. Until then, be limitless.